I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. Um, I remember my mom telling Shelly and I about a place that we need to go, needed to go to get away for a vacation. Anybody ever had a good vacation before? Um, and I struggle to take vacations. I'm not a good example to my children, uh, nor to the churches I have been in. I, just taking a vacation, especially for just Shelly and I, very diff- for whatever reason, very difficult to do. Go, we always go see family. Anybody just go see family? And pretty soon you go, I love my family, but I've had enough of you, so it's time to go see other people, right? And uh, so I remember I was talking to mom, and we're just like, okay, uh, you know, my 20, our 20th anniversary was coming up, and I'm thinking, hey, as a good husband, it'd be nice if I took my wife away for a little bit, you know, for our 20th anniversary. Is that a good idea, guys, to be able to do that? Because the last time I had taken my wife away anywhere was a cruise at our first anniversary, uh, and that was with family. <laughs> so uh, I figured, you know, after 20 years, it's about time for me to step up to the game, you know, and all that stuff. So talked to my mom about Cabo San Lucas. Anybody ever been to Cabo San Lucas before? Very extreme southern end of the Baja Peninsula. It is absolutely gorgeous and stunning and everything you could imagine to get away. And so excited to talk about getting away. So that was for our 20th anniversary. And just like a really, really good husband, I waited a whole other year before I finally pulled the trigger <laughs> to be able to go on this. So for our 21st anniversary, roughly, uh, Shelly and I <laughs> went, went away, and this is, this is right here. This is what we experienced. Oh. How many would like to go there right now with me? All of us together. Let's go on a missions trip to Cabo San Lucas. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we'll pray together. That'll be missions. All right. Then the next picture here, there's, I mean, walking on the beach and the sand, it is just, especially right now when we've got a storm bearing down on us later on this evening, it's going to be great. Think about this right here, right? But as we were planning the trip, there's certain excitement that goes along with planning a vacation to just get away where you go, it is going to be wonderful, you know, turn off the phones, which we didn't do, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just, you have this moment, you're going, I, am, I cannot wait to just get away, unplug, unwind, and we found out that it takes uh, more than just a day to unwind from all the craziness of life, doesn't it? And so that's why vacation should be like six or eight weeks long. I'm going to command that from now on. <laughs> but then you got to come back, don't you, uh, after the vacation? Everything's piled up. <laughs> so, um, so this whole idea of going on vacation, looking forward to something and that you're longing for, um, maybe as a kid, uh, you grew up wanting to go to someplace like this. Anybody remember as a kid just wanting to go to Disneyland or Disney World, right, or Epcot? Took a, tr- took a family trip there. I can't remember how old I was. Went to Epcot for the very, very first time, and I still remember that moment and looking forward to it. Super exciting. Well, as you get a little bit older, uh, your, your plans change. For some of you, this is still where you want to go, <laughs> right, as adults. Um, for, for others, though, you would like to do something maybe a little, a little more exotic, And we're getting to the point in our world today when we can go here. (laughs) 
<laughs> One of these days, right, we'll be able to travel to the moon. Now, if your wife wants to send you to the moon, that's a little bit different vacation uh, than we'd really want to do. But when we are captured and longing to go somewhere and this idea that I want to uh, experience something uh, for myself and I'm looking forward to this, um, it begins to be obvious to the people around us. We start talking about it. And we start telling people, hey, pretty soon I'm not going to be here because I'm going on vacation. <laughs> or your kids, they get so excited. And, you know, we're going to Disney and they start chanting in their bedrooms at night and they start praying for Mickey to get saved and all those things. I mean, you have all these things happening because the longing grows until you achieve that goal. And hopefully along the way you enjoy that journey, that journey as well. So in the New Testament... What does all this have to do with the Bible, right? In the New Testament, there's this guy by the name of Paul. And uh, he's kind of a latecomer to Christian faith. His story was one where he was the guy who was persecuting the church, and he was wanting to kill believers. They were called the way back in the book of Acts. And so we read about his story in the book of Acts where he's on his way to persecute, uh, arrest, and potentially kill believers in Jesus Christ when God literally knocks him off of his horse and uh, he sees a bright light, he's blinded for a season, and he has this incredible transformative moment when he comes to faith in Christ. And so as a fledgling young Christian, he begins uh, to learn more about who Jesus is and, and uh, begins to teach and begins to tell others about what Christ has done in his own life and shares his story over and over and over again and studies and finds out how to be a leader within the church and over a period of years, the church begins to expand um, after Jesus, uh, you know, raises from the dead and ascends into heaven, and the church begins to expand. In the book of Acts, there's this really incredible story of what's called Pentecost. And at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls upon uh, the people of God for the very first time and remains with us as the people of God, uh, what we have is the story um, that's told there in the book of Acts where many people from different nations are in the area at the time when the day of Pentecost happens. And one of the groups of people that is mentioned by the city, it's really the, the only kind of city that is mentioned in there, it says that there are, um, there are pilgrims from the city of Rome who are also there on the day of Pentecost. And so they hear the message that Peter preaches. They, the, the, the spirit falls upon this entire crowd and they are transformed and potentially this group of believers heads back to a town called Rome. Now, Rome is the very center of power, the very center of authority in the, in the Roman Empire. And Paul, after he gets saved and comes to Christ through that dramatic moment, as he begins leading the churches, this is the one place that he wants to get. He wants to get to Rome. He wants to get there. So he begins talking about it, telling people about a, an eventual place he wants to go. He, he includes it in the letters that he's writing to other churches. One day, I'm going to make it to Rome. And people probably heard Paul talk about this over and over. Okay, Paul, we understand you want to go to Rome. So the year is around 60 AD. Paul is in uh, the city of Corinth in the area of Greece. And he's writing a letter to this church in Rome. And he's writing this letter to challenge the church, to encourage them, just like a pastor should, to tell them, hey, you need to step up your game when it comes to your faith. You need to step up your game in the way that, that your faith looks on the outside to the people around you. And so this is a picture, roughly, of Rome. Nobody was there to take this photo. <laughs> but this is a, uh, a model of what Rome probably looked like around the time of Paul. 
You can see it's uh, there, just a very small portion of a very thriving city. In fact, the Roman Empire had uh, over 50 million people that were a part of that empire. At that time, it was the largest empire the world had ever seen. Not only by numbers of people, but by landmass. You can see this next picture here. Uh, this is kind of the area that Rome controlled during this time. And the control that Rome had over this area at this time was absolute. And there was one guy at the top, the emperor of Rome, who would say anything he wanted to, and it would be done. If a nation would be forfeit because they rose up against him, he would send out the armies, and that nation would be gone. And so the early church in Rome had already been established for many years before Paul writes this letter to them. And uh, he's writing to this church. It's in the middle of this incredibly difficult cultural setting. It is the Romans that perfected violence, as a, mean of, as a means of controlling the people. Uh, one of their favorite ways, according to history, was that of crucifixion. They weren't the ones who invented crucifixions. They were the ones who perfected them to bring out the greatest pain, prolong misery as long as they could. And Jesus himself was crucified under Roman hands. The Romans also in, in embraced this polytheistic view of God or of the divine. In other words, there were many, many gods you see, they would go to different uh, areas, different nations that they would conquer, and they would take the gods of those nations and just kind of add them to this whole, uh, this whole mix of their own gods and begin worshiping those as well, along with all of their own. Many of the gods that they worshiped were actually heroes. They're actually leaders who had, uh, had done great things, and then they died, and so maybe they honored them for a few years, and then the next generation began to worship them, and that's how their gods, many of their gods, were formed. Well, one of the gods that they worshipped was the emperor. It started out that whenever the emperor died, that that emperor became god to them, and so they would worship that god, that previous emperor. Pretty soon, however, everybody had to worship the emperor even when he was alive. And so in every city, in every corner of every city, there would be temples and there would be places of, uh, of worship and altars that would be placed there for people to pay homage to all of these gods that were surrounding in this culture. And it's in this culture that the church was planted. Every corner there was a, another place of worship, worshiping a false god, and yet the church was right in the middle of it. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but Christians in that world were monotheistic. In other words, we believed, still to this day, in one God. And so that flew in the face of the polytheism of the Roman culture. And so I'm not, uh, this is, uh, might come as a surprise to you, but Christians were called atheists in the Roman culture because they did not believe in the gods of the Roman, uh, of the Roman uh, religious system. So they were called atheists. How about that for a turnaround, right? And so into this, this church was born and birthed. And Paul writes to them, saying, saying to them and challenging them, how are you going to live your life in front of them? Over the last four weeks, we've been talking about Advent. And so today we're looking at Advent Redux. We're kind of revisiting Advent even after it's done. And you received this uh, sheet of paper as you walked in today. And at the end of the service, you can take notes on this if you would like to. At the end of the service, I'm going to bring a little more instruction uh, to, uh, to how we're going to use this uh, today. But we've got hope, love, joy, and peace. All four of these, I think we can find written down in this letter that Paul writes to the Roman church. And to help me with this, 
I've invited Pastor Eric to come on up here and uh, join me today. So Pastor Eric, for those who don't know, he works with our uh, youth, our young adults, and he is an extraordinary husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one amen. Yeah, one there. amen out there Thanks, from your man. wife, which is good. That so is that's, good. Uh, that's, That'd be that's weird. Really, that would be really weird, days. yeah. But uh, I so appreciate Pastor Eric and his leadership and uh, kind of helping our youth to grow in the Lord, to be discipled, to grow in their faith and to understand what it means to live their lives in a culture that can be just as challenging as the Roman culture was uh, so many thousands of years uh, before. So Pastor Eric, can you please take it away? And let's give Pastor Eric one more welcome to your life. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be able to be a part of this. Thanks for the opportunity, Pastor Rich. And uh, like he said, we're going to hop right in. When I get excited, I talk fast, and so I'm excited, and I'm going to talk fast, and I've got a lot to say, and students are all like, yeah, you always have a lot to say, bro. I don't know why. I, I, I do, but I, I'm going to get it going here because I think that, like Pastor Rich said, this letter to Romans, there's just one section. If you want to turn there, you can go there if you want, or you'll see it on the screen here in a moment. But Romans chapter 12, starting verse 9, we're going to go through verses. 21 together. And this is really one of those scriptures that's kind of revolutionary. It's really amazing. It's really beautiful. It's one of those things that you could almost just read every day. You should probably just like print it out. You could plaster it on your fridge, put it on your mirror. It's one of those things that when you look at it over and over and over again, you get new insight every, every, every time. And it's almost like Paul, when he's writing, when he finally gets to this part, he's like bursting at the seams and then this is what spills out. And now here's, here's why this is so special. It's because if we read it through the lens of each of these themes, you're going to hear them. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear them. And we're going to highlight just one part in each of those themes really quickly and see how the early church applied them. And here's what I hope that we end up seeing. And, and, and what I'm willing to argue from uh, historically speaking anyway is that this type of life lived out by the early church that we see Paul describe in this 12th chapter of Romans is what revolutionized the world. If you want to go back, I wish we had time to do this, but some church history of how over the next, you know, from the time this was written over the next 250 years, how Christianity revolutionized the way the world worked. It's really quite revolutionary, and it stems from this type of life that is described, that they lived out, and that if we could just, if we could find a way to live um, in such a way that this type of life also flows out of us to where it just more naturally becomes a part of who we are, I think that we'll see maybe even just another revolution happen again in our city or in our country, in our world. And here's what's even more remarkable. You know, a lot of times we, we try to invite people to church. You're like, oh, you should come. We have a great time. You should come, come to church. And people are like, oh, no, I don't want to go to church. I ain't doing that. But here's, if we could live this out, People wouldn't be going, oh, I don't want to go to church. They'd be going, man, I got to get there. It's wonderful. I can't, I can't wait to get there. If we could, it makes Christian people irresistible. They're just so loving and so kind and so wonderful to be around. It makes them irresistible. Everyone would want to be around them. And so we're going to look at that here real quick. Let's hop into it. Romans chapter 12, starting verses 9 through 21. Uh, I'll read and you can follow along. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. 
when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You're like, whoa, that's a lot. Eric, are you going to talk about that, all of that? No, it's okay. Put you at ease, okay? But we are going to highlight some parts. Did you see how kind of like just this, Paul finally gets to this point where it just kind of spills out of him. And if we could live this type of life, I'm telling you, this is what revolutionized society. And so let's look at each theme here real quick and see if we can apply um, just each of these themes together. All right, so the loved one. Did you hear it when we were going through? Very from the, right from the start. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Another translation gets it a little bit closer that when it says, outdo one another in love. Now, can you imagine what a room would be like of, of people if they were all outdoing each other and honoring one another? You know, could you imagine what that might be like trying to outserve one another? Everyone trying to get to the back of the bus first. Everyone trying to be on the bottom first. Everyone's opening the door for another saying, go, you go first. Everybody's going through the coffee line, paying for someone else's coffee. And like, could you imagine what this place would be like if everyone was doing that? be crazy. Everyone would want to be in that place, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be in a place like that? Uh, I'm reading this book. It's called Growing Young, and it's a study of, of churches and churches who are effective at actually reaching young people, not just teens, but young adults as well. And so they go into these churches and they go, what is it that is making them thrive? How are they reaching these young people when so many other churches are just growing older and older? And one of the things that they say in this chapter called Warmth is the New Cool. And I love that because when, they, when they're interviewing young people, one of the themes they pick up on again and again and again isn't that they had really cool worship. That, that's part of it. Be, I mean, it's great to have worship team that doesn't distract you from worshiping. You know, so, but they weren't even like, oh, we're, we have a hip building or we got a cool youth pastor who wears cut-up jeans or like anything like that. They, 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 what, they, they, what they were saying was there's this warmth that when I'm in there, people love me as I am. And it's just... So refreshing that people want to be a part of that type of space. And so I think that that's what we need to see. And, and here's what I also love about this real quick, is that Paul leaves no room for faking it. Did you hear how he said, don't pretend to love one another, really love one another. And see, I think this is where Paul starts to push further than any other religious perspective or non-religious perspective of the time. Um, any, any other religion would have said, you just do this, you do this, you go through the motions. But in Christianity, there's no room for just looking the part. You don't get to just look the part and say, I'm a Christian. That's not how it works. 
to change, because Christianity is all about not just the right motions, it's about a change of heart through which the right motions come out of. See, I don't just have to go do this, do this. It's not just about sheer willpower. It's about a change of heart that flows out of that, that overflows into how you treat other people, honoring them, loving them, because you were so loved by Jesus. You were so loved by him to the uttermost degree that now what happens is I don't have to have, I'm not dependent upon anyone else to give me love, to satisfy me in that. I, I have it from a God who is infinite in love, and so now I get to infinitely pour that out to everyone I come into contact with. But could you imagine what the church would be like if we all did that? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And you're like, okay, so here's the question everybody's asking. What about that person over there that I can't love, man? Like, they, they're terrible people. You know, of course, no one in this room. They're, they're out you know, it's like, what about that person? Whatever, everybody's got that person. You know, like, I, I don't know about that person, Eric. I can't, I can, I can tolerate him, but I, I'm not going to be able to love that person. Here's what I'd say to you, is that begin to love them, because love is an action, and it's a choice, first of all. L choose to love them, and then you'll eventually like them. Choose to love them, and then you'll eventually like them. You'll see how your feelings will follow your action. A lot of times we tell our kids this, don't we? We're like, come on, do this, and your feelings will follow. You don't do what you feel. You can't trust your feelings. My mom used to tell me that all the time. You can't trust your feelings. I'm like, why? You know, it's like you can't trust your feelings, but then they follow, right? But we're not always very good at taking our own advice sometimes. So love them first, and then you'll eventually like them. It's sort of like when you, some of you got married even. You went into marriage with both eyes open. You're like, oh, it's going to be great. But then after a while, you had to learn to close one eye because you're like, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. Definitely didn't know about that. And Melissa has that experience like on a daily basis. And so she's always going, why didn't you tell me? And this is, this is how we operate for the sake of love. This is why Peter says um, that it's, that it's, um, I need to read it. Apparently, I've forgotten. Um, <laughs> this is why Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. For the sake of love, I'm going to overlook that. For the sake of love, I'm just as broken as you are, but for the sake of love, I'm going to overlook that. I'm not going to hold that against you. So we've gone long enough on that one. So here's my question for you. If you wanted to write it on your little note, you can. But here's the way we can maybe apply this. So who do you need to stop pretending to love? If, you, if you're thinking about your life, the people that you interact with, who, who's somebody you need to stop pretending, to stop going through the motions? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you're automatically do it and have it all figured out, and that's not the point anyway, but it forces you to, to um, see the situation as it is and stop putting on the mask in the face, right, and going through the motions. So our second one, our second theme, hope. Did you hear it when we read through it? Hopefully you did. Rejoice in, the com in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And you're like, be confident in what? What, what hope is this that I'm supposed to be confident in? The, the hope of the second coming when Jesus will come and the consummation of history will finally meet that moment where everything will come to its desired end and God will right every wrong and everyone will have their time before him. And they, it seems like to me that when you read through the New Testament, there's this sense that they had, an anticipation that they had that caused them to live their life kind of recklessly. 
if I might say that, in such a reckless way. If you read accounts of the early church, they're, they're, you know, when plague hits northern Africa, who's staying instead of, uh, who's staying in the villages? It's the Christians. Everyone else is evacuating, right? But Christians at, at, at their own cost, to their own lives, they're staying, and they've founded orphanages and hospitals. They, I mean, they spend themselves so recklessly because they knew there would be a day where they're going to stand before their God, their king, he's going to make everything right. And he, he was the one they were looking for. See how hope on the outside, it almost sounds, it almost seems like it doesn't do much, right? Oh, hope, good. No, but if you can get it rooted into your life, what hope really is, this anticipation of being able to be with him one day when he'll write everything well, then it gives you this drive, this sense of boldness to be able to live for him no matter what the cost. And I know sometimes it seems like God is moving rather slowly, um, even in our place where we live here in Salt Lake City, like, what, 3% Christian or something like that here in the Salt Lake Valley. Sometimes it feels like, God, what are you up to? But we don't have it as bad as they did in Rome, right? So we can't say, oh, it's lost cause. No, they revolutionized the world, and it could happen again if we could only be rooted in the same way they were. Um, how many of you, some of you are going to go home, and you're going to watch football, and you're going to see your team playing, and your team maybe is going to be down at halftime. You're going to be flipping out. But what if, what if your, what if you knew that your team was going to win by a long shot when you got to the end of the game? You wouldn't be stressing. You'd be like getting halftime, look at all those fans. They think they're going to win. If only they knew. You know, in the same way, that's kind of how we get to live our lives. We know we won already. You know? All right. So what situation are you going to conquer with hope? If we're going to apply this, what situation are you going to conquer with hope? How are you going to let hope in that troubling situation? How are you going, how, how are you going to let hope... Um, conquer that for you to where you can overcome and live in victory instead of letting that dominate you. Peace. Did you hear it when we were reading through? Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. And I think in this theme, more than maybe even some of the others, sometimes you can more clearly see the gospel demonstrated in this because that's the way of the world, right? To take revenge. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. See, revenge says this. It says, I'm going to make you pay for what you did. And we all intuitively know that, right? When you get in a fight with your kids or your spouse or something like that, there's that weird funky tension that no one can like really, you can't really look at each other, you can't really talk or anything like that until somebody says sorry. And then when says somebody, somebody says sorry, you're all looking at me like that doesn't happen to you. Maybe it's just me, okay. Um, but like, you know, like that. Uh, you know, there's that tension. It's because when you sinned against someone or someone sinned against you, that creates a debt that needs to be paid. And so you can do one of two things. You can make them pay by doing the silent treatment or taking something of theirs or doing something bad to them so that you make them pay for that. Or you can pay for it. You can absorb it yourself, which is painful and costly, right? See, this is why people say, oh, see, not taking revenge, that's just passive. You're just letting them get away with it. No, this is far more radical, far more courageous. Anyone can take the easy way of getting back at them. But this way of peace, this is, could you imagine if all the church did that? Could you imagine how we would stand out in this city? So, for you, what debts need to be absorbed? 
If Jesus, see, we've, we had an infinite debt, didn't we? We had an infinite debt in our relationship to God, but he didn't make you pay. He came for you. He rescued you. He pulled you out of that and redeemed you and brought you into relationship with himself. And so now you have the resources. If you are really living in the gospel, you have the resources now to do that for other people to where you don't have to make them pay. You get to absorb it. Does it mean it's easy? No. Jesus did it for you. So you get to do it for others now. Okay? So what debts need to be absorbed? And then our final one, joy. This one may have been a bit harder for you to hear as we were reading because it's not explicit. It's the, uh, it seems to me that as I, was, as I was reading it, it's the way in which all of these other themes come about. Joy is the way in which the other ones are worked out. So he says, delight. That's another word for joy, is it not? Delight in showing honor. Serve one another, or serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be eager to practice hospitality. And I suppose you could argue with me on hospitality and being eager, um, or, or enthusiasm, rather. Enthusiasm. I suppose you could argue with me. But I think those are byproducts of joy, that out of that, out of that joy you have, you're enthusiastic and you're eager to do those things. And here's why this is so special for us. And again, Paul goes deeper than any other worldview, whether secular or religious, because um, here's what's special about this. Delight and joy and enthusiasm, some of these things to at least a certain degree cannot just be drummed up by willpower. You can't just make yourself do it. You can't just say, I'm going to delight in whatever it is. You know, like, you can't make yourself really delight in something. It's a change of heart, right? You need a change of heart that causes the delight and for whatever it is. This is why we ought to delight in the Lord. It shouldn't be like, oh, I got to go to church today. No, it should be, I delight in being in his presence because he's changed me. He's reconciled me to himself. And the gospel here is not, see, it's not an elementary truth. It's not something that um, you just get at the beginning. Once you get saved, it's something that you have to be refreshed in again and again. This is why I need to be in church every week to remind myself of the gospel and to remind myself of the joy that I have in knowing him. So for us to apply it, how can I joyfully serve the Lord? What are some ways that you can joyfully serve him by serving others? Who are some people that you can love on? How are you going to do this? How can you take joy um, in your relationship to God and demonstrate that to someone else? So at this point, I'm going to invite Pastor Rich to come up, and he's going to um, give us instruction with the Advent card. Good job, man. Love it. Thank you, uh, Pastor Eric. Now, last service, I want you to know, he was a little harder on the first service. He called first service people crusty. So that was, uh, <laughs> wasn't quite as, quite as hard on, uh, on all of you. Uh, so you guys received a, uh, one of these cards when you came in. If you did not receive uh, one of these, if you could just lift your hand. We've got our ushers that would be happy to bring one of those cards to you. And those of you who are watching online, we also have this available for you uh, online as well. So please take advantage of, uh, of that. So um, how do we respond to a message like this? Because it's, uh, I don't think it's one of those uh, that come down to the altar kind of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that this is a moment for us to uh, kind of evaluate our lives, evaluate our hearts, what's the trajectory of our lives, 
and to begin making decisions based on uh, some of the things that, uh, that Pastor Eric was bringing out, those questions uh, for us to ask, and to say, okay, God, how, how am I supposed to respond to this? God, what are the practical things that I can do so that these, this Advent, this Jesus coming in incarnationally, uh, Jesus coming to earth to, to live in this flesh, in human flesh, and brought hope, love, joy, and peace. God, what does this look like for my life? And so maybe what you need to do is, uh, is to take a moment, which we're going to do here, maybe a couple of minutes, that we're going to respond to this. If you've got a pen, you can begin writing down some of the things like, okay, God, this is how I'm going to live out Advent hope in 2019. God, this is how I'm going to live out Advent love in 2019, Advent joy and Advent peace. God, these are, this is what I'm going to practically do because I think God can work in each one of you differently than what he works in my life. Right? There, you have different circumstances. You've got different relationships and people that you're connected to. And so God wants you to respond in a way that's uniquely you. And so as the band just begins to play, what we're going to do is take a moment and, uh, and pray over these things and say, God, what do you want in my life? Lord, how am I supposed to live out this Advent? So God, I ask in the next few moments that, Lord, you would help us to kind of navigate our own hearts our own minds and our own expectations and to see, Lord, how we can apply your word to our lives. That, God, we would look ahead to 2019 and figure out how we can live Advent hope and joy and love and peace. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.